So, um, I mean, I think it's just worth saying, you know, it's not, these aren't either ors. I mean, they're both ands, you know, and so, and we're going to talk tomorrow. We're going to look specifically at Sunday meetings. Um, and so we looked at broad church, make disciples, bring through leaders, um, do community. I mean, that's just, that's sort of big picture stuff. That should, that should make sense for mission. And then, you know, we're going to look now at you as leaders on mission personally, what that looks like. Do a bit of Q&A at the end because there's always some questions um, or usually some questions. And then tomorrow we'll look at Sundays. Um, and all I'm trying to do is just, I'm trying to hit some of the bigger things. We should just be looking at everything in light of the mission. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll, we'll just jump right into it and hopefully that'll, that'll help out a little bit. Um, I thought Dan did a, a brilliant job um, just co- sort of causing us to behold the beauty of Jesus again, um, which is what we must do. But for me, um, um, I don't think, you know, any of these talks are, like, that's not a subject and this isn't a subject that are completely separate, you know, from each other. What we're talking about, these things are connected together. Um, Spurgeon um, said this, he said, you know, I won't believe that you've tasted the honey of the gospel if you're content to eat it all by yourself, right? And so, um, so when we talk about um, mission, we're talking about, hopefully what we're talking about is an imperative that's flowed from this indicative, it is finished has flowed into this man like we we can't we can't shut our mouths we you know the, the, we're not going to let the rocks cry out we're going to cry out so this this um, these imperatives flow from what what Jesus has done and how beautiful he is and so in light of all of that um, I want to just start by saying that mission in your church starts with you mission in your church starts with you it doesn't start with a program it doesn't start with a series on mission um, it doesn't start with the the guy in your church is a gifted evangelist I think mission in your church starts with you, um, a, a principle that God wrote into the, the DNA of, of the earth, of the whole creation of the cosmos is like begets like. Go back to the very beginning. Each reproduced after their own kind, and God said, this is good. Um, that's just how God made it. Like produces, like begets like. Each produces after its own kind, um, which means that for you and I, we can't just, we just can't preach sermons on mission. We can't just have mission programs we have to be on mission. We have to be doing this. And that we is it's you and it's me. I'm accountable to be on mission, right? We have to get our hands dirty. We, leaders, us, you, me, we have to be in the trenches of mission. Think about the type of leadership that you like, right? Maybe you've worked in the, in the workplace or still working in, in you know, a marketplace setting or you know, um, whatever. I, do, do you like someone who, um, who has a job to tell you like, to, to do hard things or someone who's been there, who's done the hard things, who comes along and says, hey, I mean, you, you want someone who's got some experience. I mean, it feels weird when someone you know, is telling you what to do and it's, they got the job because they're you know, related to the boss. I mean, that, that kind of leadership, you know, people resonate with someone um, who, who's in the trenches with them, Right. I mean, if, if you and I were in a foxhole and we were fighting, you know, in some war and um, we, we got a nice crisp letter from, the, from Buckingham Palace, you know, telling us, you know, we can do it, you know, you're going to do great and just be brave and you're going to be fine, um, back to tea, you know, like kind of thing. It would be like, okay, maybe we can do it. But if some old like war-torn, you know, scars everywhere, blood, you know, everywhere, you know, soldier comes up and he's been there, he's done that and he puts his hand on our shoulder and he says, hey, we're going to get through this. I mean, it's going to mean more than that letter, right? Because the guy's been there and he's done that and he's still there and he's doing that, you know? And so um, as pastors and as preachers and as elders and as leaders, we can't get around this. Like begets like. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. 
We have to get our hands dirty. When the translation is, you have to make friends with lost people. You have to have friends, <laughs> friends who aren't Christians. We have no business telling other people to do that if we're not willing to do it ourselves. And all of us, at some stage or another, were willing to do it ourselves. It's probably how we landed, you know, leading a church or being part of that. Usually start off like that. We start off with you know with 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 being on mission and being involved in and you know that that sort of and then and then normally what happens is we graduate from it. I, I'm 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 above that now. I already done I did that. Now I get to teach you guys how to do that. Or I'm I'm really busy now. You see, I have lots of meetings and I run I, I run this church now. You see, like that's what you guys now. You guys do that stuff. Or I'm too scared. I'm too scared, and, and so you guys go and do it and tell me what it was like. I'll be praying for you, you know? Um, so, so mission in, in our churches, it starts with us. Um, the second thing I want to say is it requires us to love lost people. No, really, love them. Love them. Here's the thing. People, um, people aren't projects. They're people. Every person around you who lives near you, who lives in your city, who you bump into on the, on the tube or whatever, wherever you're at, they, they're people. They're not projects. They're, they're, they're made in God's image. They're people. And we, we're called to love them. Um, in Matthew 11, um, 19, Jesus gets, he gets called, he kind of gets slammed, you know, and it's like, it's meant to be, a, you know, um, uh, it's meant to be a bit of a criticism. You know, Jesus is the, you know, he comes eating and drinking. They call him, a, you know, a glutton and a drunkard and the, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus never says, oh, no, 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 I'm not, no, I'm not their friend. No, 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 I'm not their friend. Don't get me wrong. I'm here to reach them. I'm not here to be their friend. He never corrects it, right? He's quite happy with it, actually, it sounds like. And so if you look up that word friend, what it means there, and this is just so beautiful to me. Let me read you just some of what that word is, 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 is communicating when it says Jesus, the friend of tax collectors, socially rejected people by society and dirty, rotten sinners. Jesus, a friend, someone dearly loved, someone prized in a personal, intimate way. Friend means a trusted confidant. The word meant someone who was held dear in a close bond of personal affection, Jesus, friend of drunks and sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners, held dear in close bond of personal affection. The root of this word always conveys experiential, personal affection, indicating an experience-based love. Friend of sinners. You may have, you may have heard that he reclined at the table with sinners. That's, that's not Greek for passed out tracks and left, right? He literally spent time with them. And they enjoyed him. He got invited to their parties. Friend. They came to him when their kids got sick. They came to them when their life was in trouble. Because he was their close confidant. He was their friend. He loved them. Now, you and I, we are so glad that Jesus is a friend like that to us, right? But man, the, the question is, are we a friend like this to the sinners around us? 
Are we really their friend? Do we love them? And if so, because I'm guessing a bunch of you, yeah, that's me. Yeah, of course. If so, do the people that you lead know that? Do they know that you, you're, you're the friend of sinners, notorious sinners, right? Um, if they don't, if they don't know that, you need to assume they don't think you are, right? Assume they don't think you are. They, those people probably assume that Jesus, you know, um, worked at a Christian, you know, Bible college, signed Bibles all day long, and then was escorted to a gated Christian community, right? They imagine Jesus lived this, you know, separatist life where he never interacted with dirty people, you know, and sinners, and, and, and they have to be taught in the scripture that he did. And then they imagine that you and I, that we don't interact with people like that, you know, and, and they have to be told that we do. They, they have to be told that that's part of our life. So if it is part of your life, you need to find ways to communicate that so people don't think that you're not doing that, right? And if it's not part of your life, why not? If, you've, if, you, if you're honestly thinking now, actually, I think all my friends are already Christians. I think all my friends are in leadership in our church. Man, like, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. There's a growing hypocrisy between a call to mission and, and what you're actually doing. And you should be careful of that. Um, a whole generation of people misunderstood our relationship with the world. And um, there's this, you know, um, this, you know, a book called The Uneasy Conscience of, of Fundamentalism. There's this, um, this, this generation of people that felt like um, the, the thing we should do is retreat from society and build Christian subcultures and build Christian bubbles and have Christian bookstores and we'd have Christian grocery stores if we could and Christian theme, we had Christian theme parks in America, y'all. Christian theme parks. You imagine how lame those rides would have been. <laughs> honestly, honestly. Um, absolutely terrified of interacting with anyone who wasn't a Christian because they misunderstood the, the word. Jesus said, I am sending you into the world just like I was sent. I'm sending you in there, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, um, I think this is one that people just missed for generation, I guess. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. I think most people said, see, close the Bible. There you go. Can't hang out with them, you know? Only Christians, everybody. Paul keeps going. He says, not at all meaning sexually immoral, you know, the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you need to get out of the world. Paul's like, I'm not trying to tell you not to hang out with those guys. You have to get on a spaceship, right? No, no, no. I'm writing you to tell you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of these things. Not even eat with such a one. And what do we do? We ha happily hang out with hypocrites, but we don't eat with sinners. I mean, it's so, it was just so striking to me when I first got into like um, planning our church and thinking about all this stuff. I realized that thinking about the type of leaders we're bringing through and looking at the, ca the, the people that were coming and going, how are we going to, how are these people going to lead, you know, and just, um, yeah. And I realized, man, like, I think um, if you look at, like, Jesus' ministry, you know, um, he, the, the type of people who hated him, these religious, you know, self-righteous, you know, Pharisees who, who ended up, you know, you know leading to having him murdered, um, those people hated Jesus. 
and the dirty, like rotten sinners of the world loved him. Like loved him. Like broke their most expensive bottles of perfume on his feet and wept. Like loved Jesus. And I look at like my experience in church, like growing up and I'm like, geez, I think we've, put, we've like put in leadership everybody who hated Jesus and we've, we've become completely irrelevant to everybody who fell at his feet. And like, and it's just so shocking, like how far we've come, you know? Love lost people, really love them, be their friend. Another thing is become a, become a great missionary, not just a great preacher, not just a great elder, not just a great leader. Become a great missionary. That, that takes time and effort. It takes, you know, serving your city and serving, you know, the community and learning from them and listening to them and earning the right to be heard. I mean, study, study brilliant missionaries. I mean, you guys have produced some absolute legends in this country. Study Hudson Taylor. Guy was an animal. Study him and emulate him. Look at what he did. Become a good local. Can't say this one enough. Become a good local. A lot of us, we, um, a lot of, a lot of, you guys understand. You, you end up moving somewhere because the call of God puts you somewhere, but that somewhere is not where you, you're from, and it's different. And that sports team's not the sports team I grew up with. In fact, we liked a different sport altogether. And there's this whole like disconnect between you and the people that you're, you're you're surrounded by. And usually, what happens is we end up growing our church with expats, essentially, with people who've moved into the city who are just like us, or we grow our church with people who hear about our church plant and move in to help it. And we don't, we don't impact the local community. They don't even know we exist, and we're scared to death of them, right? But like, you look at Jesus. He, he dropped right into a culture and began to work with those people. He didn't like call up heaven and say, oh, I need some elders down here. Send some from heaven. Like he, he, he just got to work with the local people. How do you do that? How do you, how do you become a good local if you're not? Well, for starters, you got to love what they love. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about like the, just the stuff that they love. Like if we're, I mean, we had a guy, I'll tell you a story because I've been yelling for a few minutes. Um, we had a story, this guy led a church in my town. We live on an island surrounded by islands, all right? So there's sand, a lot of it, right? And this guy, he's been leading the church for um, 12, 15 years, church plant, and it's just going nowhere fast. So he says to me, I'm talking or whatever, and I go to visit his house, and I was like, geez, this place is nice, but I couldn't quite place it because it doesn't fit. Something's different. After a while, it took me some time, and I was like, oh, this feels like, um, this feels like New York. Yeah, this, this whole house feels like New York. And he's like, yeah, we love New York. Love it, love it, love it. My wife loves it. She lived there in a heartbeat. I was like, oh, cool. He's like, yeah, we designed the whole house, ripped up everything and designed the whole house to feel like New York. I was like, wow, okay. And then um, he ends up saying to me, I said, you know, like, I said something about the beach, whatever. He's like, oh, no, no, we hate the sand. We just can't stand it. I was like, okay, because we're surrounded by it. And um, he said, I said, well, surely you've been to like Shack. Shack's like a, Shackleford Banks, we call it Shack. It's a little island off of Iron Island. Anyway, so there's, it's, a, it's beautiful. There are wild horses there that came from a, a shipwreck hundreds of years ago. They're descendants of these. A shipwreck happened. These horses swam ashore. It's, a, it's insanely beautiful. Um, anyway, so this guy's never been to Shack. The people in my town, they work a job so they can buy a boat, so they can put gas in that boat, so they can go to Shack. That is, 
That is how the circle of life goes around in my town. <laughs> that, is the, that is the reason to go to work, so you can have a boat and put gas in it so you can go to Shack. That's the only reason to live. And this guy had never been there. And I was like, you've never been to Shack? No. We hate the water. You hate the ocean and you hate the sand. And I was like, dude, I finally know why nobody wants to go to your church. They can't trust you. You don't like salt water. You don't like sand. And your house looks like New York. Like, clearly, you don't want to be here. You know? I was like, he's like, well, my wife just doesn't like it. I was like, who cares? Who cares? Tell her to, like, you know, suffer for Jesus and go to the beach. I mean, it's like, how easy... How easy can we make it for you? Like, jeez, yeah. It's like the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, love what they love. This guy didn't love what we love. You know what happened? He ended up moving. You know what happened after that? The church shut down. He, I mean, nobody trusted him. People can tell. Local people, they won't trust you if you don't love what they love. Hang out where they hang out. Barge right up in there. Hang out where they hang out. Not just in your house. Right? In America, um, you know, a lot of Christians just want to stay in their homes. And the only, the only way possible that anyone could, you know, engage with us is if they actually came to our front door and knocked on it. And one night a year that happens. It's called Halloween. And you know what all the Christians in America do? They go to their church and have a thing called trunk or treat where they have Christian you know, trick-or-treating, right? So the one night a year where, where unsaved people would actually come to their home, they're not there. It's, the, it's, like, it's like we're going out of our way to not be a missionary, you know? Like, it can't be easier. They're at your house. They're on your doorstep. We're not home. We're at our church. Why? Because we, we want to collect candy in a more Christian way. It's just crazy. Does not make any sense? Um... Be, be a man or woman of the city. Be a man or woman of the city. Be the person they call when trouble hits. Man, like go to, I don't know what your, your local uh, government structure is like here, but go to whoever you can go to and say, hey, I just want you to know, if y'all ever need anything, we're here. Um, tornado hit our town last January. First thing in the morning, I'm on the phone with the mayor and I'm climbing on houses and we're chainsawing trees off. We canceled our whole Sunday service. I mean, we just, like, we're like, we wanted to be, I wanted to be the man of the city, you know, and, and, and just I want to put some of that in you. I want to pray that some of that gets in you where you, you just, your city knows that they can call you, you know. Some tragedy strikes, some kid kills himself or some awful thing happens. You should be like the, a person that pops in their head to call because you care about the city, right? Hmm. Um. One of the ways that I, I found to, to, to really be an effective missionary is to um, think about your normal rhythms of life. You're going to go to the grocery store, or you, you can go to a, you know, if you're going to drink a beer, you could drink it at home, or you could go to a pub. Like, you're thinking about your normal rhythms of life, and to um, just put, uh, put intentionality on those. Here's what I mean. Um, it's all right. We'll find a button someday. Um, it's all right. You're fine. So um, to think about your normal rhythms of life, your rhythms of life, and add intentionality, right? So here's the thing. If every time you go to a coffee shop, you go to a different one, you're never going to build any relationships. If every time you go to a pub, you go to a different one, you're never going to build. If every time you go to a, a supermarket or a grocery store, you go to a different one, you're never going to build any relationships. 
you gotta, you got to pick one and just wear it out, man. Um, I, I, I've got a grocery store that I go to. I, I will go there every time, no matter what. And there's a few different people, at, you know, different registers on different shifts. And I wear the, I mean, I, they're just probably like, this guy's in here every day. Because I go right to them every time. Because I want to keep interacting with them. Um, coffee shop, the same way. Um, restaurants, the same way. And I mean, the amount of people in our church that have come now, that through those relationships is, uh, is honestly astounding. Um, but it took like me being there and me being there. I mean, I'd, I'd hang out at this one coffee shop over and over and over again. And finally, one, one time, one of the workers, one of the managers, she took her break and came over and sat down with me. She was like, hey, she's like, I can, I can tell you're a, a preacher or something. I was like, yeah. She's like, look, my marriage is falling apart. Can you help me? She just like, we just sat there and talked about her marriage. It was the most beautiful thing. Now she's in our church, right? And, and like, but that never would have happened if I just went and bought a coffee and never came back. You got to like make yourself like part of the, like weave yourself into their fabric. You don't just go once, go all the time. Make rhythms of it, right? Um, um, make reaching local people a priority, right? We've already talked about that. Indigenous people movements last. So make reaching local people a priority. Um, yeah. Jump in, uh, go, go to where they are and hang out and, and actually jump in, right? Um, so you go to a pub and, there, and a couple guys are playing darts. You don't just sort of sit in the corner like this, like eat your food and like, oh, okay, I'm in here because Jesus said so. I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> relax a little bit. Go play some darts. Jump in, have fun. You don't have to like, they don't have to say the sinner's prayer in the first round. Like you can just <laughs> hang out and love them, right? Um, and what I found is that if, 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 like what we typically historically do is we try to get people to come into our environment, come to us, and then we'll tell you about Jesus. But like if you go to them, they'll ask about Jesus. I promise you. You go there and you go there and you start being a normal presence there, they'll, they'll ask about him. It'll happen. Another thing that good locals do is they, they love their city. I've talked about this a little bit, but love where you live. I, um, we've got a hashtag um, that we've created at our church, Love MHC, Love Moorhead City, and the Beaufort site has Love BFT, and Swansboro site is, has the same thing. And so we started that hashtag because we, we, just, we want people to know that we're just obsessed with where we live. We love it. Um, we're proud of it. We love being there. Local people love where they live. Um, go out of your way to let people in your city know that you, you love it too. Don't always kind of be looking like you're chomping at the bit to leave, you know? You know, you're always thinking about somewhere else and talking about somewhere else and, oh, oh, you want to drink, you think that's good coffee. Oh, really, good coffee's over in London and, or it's over here, it's over there. It's like always, we're always somewhere else versus like, man, I'm just going to love this place. I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29 um, where uh, verse 4 we love Jeremiah 29, 11. I know that. But Jeremiah 29, verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. He doesn't say build bomb shelters and you know, become doomsday preppers and I'll get you out of this hellhole one day. He says, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce and take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and have daughters. Multiply. Multiply there and do not decrease. And listen to this. And seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
man, guys, we need a whole generation of churches where the city is confronted with a church that loves it, enjoys it, and is praying to God on its behalf. Where you go to your, your civic leaders and you say, hey, our church loves this city. How can we be praying this year for this city? Got any big projects you need help with? Maybe we can help. Got any rundown areas of town you want us to jump in on? We're, we're, your, we're your guys. You know, what can we do? So it's just that sort of thing. Genuinely seek to be a pastor or a leader in a, a church that cares about your city. Most churches only go to the city when they need something from them. Oh, we better go make friends with the city because we're going to need this parking favor thing. And so, you know, how can we bribe them into being kind to us? Most city, mo, mo, I've, I've heard so often that most city officials, I mean, now we've interacted with several different towns and cities. And they, the, we take so long because their first impressions are, oh, you, it's just because you want something from us. They're just convinced that every church wants something from them. The only time you would ever come here is because you want something from us, right? Or, you know, they only hear from a church when, they're really, when the church is really ticked off about something. There's picket signs and all the rest, you know? Be a voice of care and concern. Let, let your city know you're there to help. Um, some of you guys are maybe thinking, where do I even start? First thing I would say is start with your passion. Start with what you love, what you're already doing, what you're already good at, your hobbies. What are the things that you love, right? How, how would it look to use those for a mission? We, um, you probably heard me talk about this before. I love it so much. But um, Chariots of Fire, which is the movie I'm convinced will play on repeat in heaven, um, <laughs> is so good. And there's this, there's this moment where, you know, um, Eric Little's sister, she, she says to him, she says, you know, leave this, this crazy, you know, running stuff. It's the, you know, it's just secular. And come with us to China on, on the mission field and do God's work, right? Sounds so logical and compelling. And Eric says, you know, that famous, you know, he says, you know, God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah. God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I think there's something, something God's made each and every one of you. Before you were a leader and a preacher and a church planner and you had all these meetings and all this stuff, God, God, God gave you joys and hobbies and talents and skills and things you used to do. And what would it look like to do those things and feel his pleasure? Amen. Did I say something that was wrong? No, it's good. Okay. So sometimes I, there's, okay, there's just burst of laughter, and I thought I did one of those American things where I said something dirty without meaning to. <laughs> but then would have said it if I had known it was dirty anyway, because I'm American. Um, so so um, just, just start with that, right? I like to run. Not, not me personally, maybe some of you. Maybe some of you like to run, right? So you think, oh, I got it, I got it, Donnie. I'll start an all-Christian running league. No, wrong. Go run with people who don't know Jesus, right? Oh, there's not one of those around here. Start one. Oh, there's already 10 of them. Join one. Don't start a competing one. Jump in there. Go for it. I like to cook. Figure out how to make that work. I like to, I like to, this is who God made. Great, use that to feel his pleasure. How? It wasn't, Eric wasn't just talking about when he runs, he feels God's pleasure because of the wind and all. He's talking because there's mission all up in there. There's these chats, you know, behind the races and all this stuff. And there's these, after the race, people gathered around and got to talk about the gospel. That's, that's how he felt God's pleasure. So what's God made you? And then do it in a way where you feel his pleasure. That's what Paul's doing with the surfing, right? Right? Now, we're not, everybody doesn't have to go start a surf ministry, you know? Andrew and C are leading one in London, you know? River Thames, they're going to, you know, here they go. 
Um, no, there's, there's, it's us thinking about who God made us, right? Now, once you figure that out, you get to go help other people do that in your church. Well, I don't know, Donnie, I'm just not that. Well, what are you? Who's God made you? Great. How do, let me help you figure out how to use that, right? Um, and, then, and then I just want to add this piece too, because um, it's, it's, it's like we start off with this, you know, do what you love and do it to feel as pleasure, but there, there, there's going to probably come a moment where you end up doing something you don't love. So I, I really liked surfing. I grew up surfing. I worked at surf shops. That's what I did. I, I was terrible with any sport that had a ball. I was just awful. I would have been just, I would have been useless, you know, playing rugby and soccer. And I, I mean, envy you guys who do it, but I couldn't have done it, right? It just wasn't me. In fact, I played football um, my senior year of high school for three months. This is um, gridiron, American football, right? And I was so bad that I, I remember one, one game in particular, I, somebody from my own team ran around and came back to hit me because they, they didn't like me that much. I was so bad that somebody on my team was willing to join the other team to hit me because they couldn't stand me because I was so bad at the game. I was like, yeah, I get the hint. I'm done, right? Um, so I come back, I plant the church, and I just started with the surfing community, just loving on those guys and hanging out with those guys. And then eventually, we felt like we pretty much saturated that thing because every time I went surfing, I went like it was like a church event. It was just like all of the guys in the water were from one harbor. And if one dude patted out who wasn't, everybody else would just jump on him. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm no longer needed here, right? Now I'm just surfing for the sake of surfing, right? It's lost its mission, which isn't bad. And I still do it, but it's like it just it wasn't, this, it wasn't really the, the reason why I was carving time out for it. And then, um, uh, you know, I realized that people in my church or people in our community, um, there's a whole bunch of hunters. I'd never hunted in my life. I grew up here and I'd never hunt. I grew up in this place and I'd never hunted in my life. And there's this massive culture of hunting. I didn't own one piece of camo. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. And then uh, um, I used that pun yesterday, not knowing it. Everyone laughed and I thought they were all laughing at me again. So this time it worked. Okay. Um, so this, um, this, this guy who was, you know, larger um, uh, died old guy, he died, and I inherited all of his hunting clothes. And um, I didn't know that they were all dry rotted and terrible. They were just camouflaged. And I thought, okay, here we go. So I started putting the word out that I want to hunt. I didn't even own a gun. I'd never hunted in my life. And one, some, one day, somebody invited me. I mean, I had the most conversations about Jesus. And then somebody else invited me, and somebody else heard about it. And I got invited back because I would show up early, and I'd help, and I'd really get in there. I'd really try my best. I couldn't shoot anything, but I was trying my best. And I was, and, and it, it just every time I went, I was getting on these insane conversations about Jesus. People who I'd met with for six months every week for breakfast, hard wall, like nothing. One time I go hunting, and they just, they just boom. They just pour out every little, every question they've ever had about God, all the things about God that make them angry, just, just like just unloading it right? Because I was in their environment. I was doing something they loved. It wasn't what I loved yet. Now it is. And now every time I hunt, y'all, I get, I'm telling you, people that would never, I had a, the, a guy tell me, the last guy I went hunting with a couple weeks ago, he told me that if he walked in my church, he's sure the building, like the building would fall down. He's like that bad, right? And I was like, oh, well, our church has seen folks like you before, you know, and they're in leadership now. So it's going to be fine. But um, this guy, just like, just asking all kinds of questions, just pouring it out, man. 
sitting out in a boat, you know, an hour and a half away, looking at ducks, you know, and the sun going down. This guy's just pouring his heart out. Hadn't been to church since he was a little kid, told his mom he didn't believe in God, and he left. And this is it. That's the first time he's ever talked to a pastor since then, you know? But if I, I mean, he's not going to come sit in my office at the church. Like, I have to go there to him, right? So, I mean, that's what I'm trying to get at is start with what you love and be open to doing things you don't love because you love people, and that's where they are. Um, start with your surroundings, right? So start with your passion. Start with your surroundings. You know, Acts 17 tells us that um, we didn't just happen to end up where we are. God put us where we are. Exact time, exact place, like GPS located, ping, like God put you there. I always tell folks, you know, um, Stop praying, you know, that God would move the person at your desk away or your neighbor away. He put them there. Start praying for yourself that you would start getting God's heart for them, you know. Um, God put you exactly where you wanted, which is a crazy thing to think. And when you begin to think like that, like God wants me to go to this grocery store to buy my groceries versus I'm just going to the grocery store to buy my groceries. It just, it's just like amazing, like the, the, the intentionality that, that happens, there's an actual story about this. Um, it, it's, it's commonly, we think about it, you know, Jesus met the woman at the well, right? Well, what happens? Jesus arrives and him and his disciples are hungry and thirsty. And so his disciples go into town to buy bread. They go to town, they buy bread. They're like, we did it. We did it. We bought bread. And they come back with bread. No one's life gets changed, but they brought the bread, right? Meanwhile, Jesus witnesses to the woman who gives him something to drink tells her, hey, that guy with, he's not your husband. By the way, the five guys before were, you know, here's what's going on inside of you. You're thirsty and none of this is ever going to quench it. I'm going to quench it. Boom, just like she runs off and she tells the town that just sold the disciples bread and they all come running down and they want to meet Jesus. Now, the disciples go in to a town full of people and all they pull off is bread. Jesus meets one woman and her and the whole town end up like getting their lives changed, right? Because Jesus wasn't getting water. He was, he was seeing like this woman with, with, with intentionality. And the disciples were just buying bread. And what I'm saying is like we as Christians, we just fall into these rhythms of life. Like I did church, cool, you know, ministry hat off. Now go to the grocery store. No, ministry hat's still on. Maybe you are just going to buy bread. Maybe revival is going to break out in the grocery store. Like, I mean, who knows? Cool getting close to being done. Uh, pick a subculture um, and just go for it. Um, like Stu was saying, pick, just pick some group of people to go for. It's so intimidating. I'm going to reach this whole city. There's millions of people. No, you're not. Okay, you're not. Sorry. But if you pick a little small group of people, you can jump in there and really get to know them and you can reach them. God can find you faithful and give you more and more. Um, Here's something that I would, I would really encourage you to do um, is to tell, the as leadership teams, hold each other accountable to this. As an eldership team, we'll, we'll sit together and we'll go, hey, who are you trying to reach this year? Which subculture are you trying to get involved in this year? Do, 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 go around the circle. Cool. Let's pray for each other. Let's hold each other accountable, right? You need to act, like, get that in, in there. Like, share with each other who you're trying to reach and pray for each other and encourage each other right? Um, and um, be willing to, to try to risk things and to fail. Um, Andrew, I'll, I'll pick on you. I was in his group earlier, and he was talking about, he's like, man, I had this idea to maybe 
do a pub thing where I did like a, a apologetics kind of Q&A thing. Oh, but I wouldn't be any good at it. I was like, I think you'd be incredible at it and act like amazing. Like, I, I want to go. Like, let's do it right now, you know? And, um, but like what Andrew needs is just some of the guys around him to say, hey, Andrew, let's give it a shot, man. That's cool. Let's try it. And it may not work, but you try it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. I'll tell you really, I'll tell you, I'll, you're, nobody's going to do anything dumber than this. So I'll give you my dumb story so that you can feel like, hey, I can try anything because it's not as dumb as what Donnie did. Um, I was in a Taco Bell. Do you guys know what those are? Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great place if you want to get diarrhea. Um, and so I was there and, um, sorry. Um, so I was there and this was years ago and I felt like there was a handful of people sitting over here behind us, handful, it was late at night, a handful of people sitting behind the counter and it was me and a couple of my friends. And I thought God wanted me to, and I'm a big guy, to stand on a table basically the size of this. Why I had to stand up, I, I don't know because the, I mean, everyone could have heard me and preached the gospel. This is what I felt like I was supposed to do. So I got my friends to hold the corners of the table and help me up on it. So I'm standing on the tiniest table known to man. My head's like up against the ceiling. And I just said, everyone, stop what you're doing. You back there making the burrito, stop it. You stop eating. I have something to tell you. And I just preached my guts out, tears running down my face. Jesus wants to save you, taco lady, and you. Like, I just was like, I was just going for it, man. I was like, and if, if you all want to line up and give your life to Jesus, me and my friends will be right here. My friends are all like, oh my God, dude, we are never eating with this guy again. And I was like, okay, we'll be right here. Anytime, just come on out. We'll be right here. I'm going to be right here waiting. And um, I'll wait as long as you want. And like, I, I get down, I sit there, and like nobody, I mean nobody even thinks about coming over. And like I'm looking, everybody's just like, nobody wants to look at me. And my friends were like, let's just leave, man. And I was like, fair enough. But I gave it a shot. I gave it a shot because who knows? I mean, the whole joint could have got saved. And I don't want to be that guy, like, on the van ride home going, man, I had this idea. I wonder if that would have worked. Like, I don't want that. Like, you know? Because, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm a little, like, weird like this. I'm scared that, like, I wouldn't do it. And one of my friends would just stand up and start preaching. Everyone would get saved and be like, it's supposed to be me. Like, I'm just scared of that. You know, like, I'm scared of that. Like, I, I, want, I want God to know I'll try anything. Like, one guy said, you know, well, I'll try anything short of sin to see people saved, you know? Um, we're all different people, so be yourself. Somebody asked me that yesterday. I'm not like you. What do I do? Be yourself. Just be yourself on mission. That means different things for different people. What it doesn't mean is I don't get to be on mission because I'm, you know, my personality's a little bit more this or that, you know? Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be me for the love of God. Don't try to be me, right? Don't, don't be someone else. Be yourself. But here's the thing. Don't let your personality be your slave master or an excuse. Who I'm introverted. Okay. And you've been redeemed and been shown mercy and you've been filled with the spirit. So as an introvert, can you go be on mission? And maybe you're going to reach a bunch of introverts, right? Introverts and extroverts both have the same mission from Jesus. So just be yourself, but be yourself on mission. And um, in addition to that too, like just piggybacking off what was said earlier, um, don't let, I mean, don't let your personality be an excuse and don't let alpha be an excuse either. I think it's wonderful that there's this thing that's like, it's this great opportunity to bring people to Jesus. Absolutely, right? Um, but I mean, ask yourself if alpha went away, 
Like if Alpha wasn't, wasn't a thing anymore, something happened, you couldn't use it anymore, would your churches be dead in the water to see people saved? If so, that's a problem, right? We're not depending on a program. We want to use it because it's a blessing, absolutely, but don't depend on it, right? Um, my friend Josh Corey says um, this. He's, he always says to his church, he's like, we're, this is one of, the, one of the ways he encourages his church on a weekly basis. He says, we, we're a church of spirit-filled missionaries to our city. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about creating people who are led by the Spirit on mission to their city. And if one of the ways God wants to do that, wants to save people, is through Alpha, awesome, but don't depend on it. At the end of the day, like, you still, like, people have a responsibility to engage the lost and befriend them and lead them to Jesus. And one of the ways to celebrate that, I don't know if you guys do this, but um, we started, we realized we were baptizing people. We didn't know that someone else had led to Jesus. We're like, this is crazy. You don't have to be an elder to baptize someone. So we started going, hey, you know, whoever led you to, who led you, who, who, that they're going to baptize you. I don't want to baptize, no, you baptize them. No, you baptize them. Like, and what it does, it just keeps reiterating this thing of like, man, we're all on this mission together. And um, somebody asked me this yesterday. Honestly, more people get saved in our church, less people get saved on a Sunday morning responding to some kind of an altar call, you know, or any kind of program than do just in people's lives. I mean, that's what's happening. People are just on mission and they're just having these little Philip Ethiopian moments happening. They're like, hey, they got saved. What do we do now? You know, cool. You baptize them. Then we'll get them plugged into a community group and all the rest. Okay. Um, be willing to actually talk about Jesus. You know, it's silly. You know, pre- preach the gospel. Use words only when necessary. It's, that's not true. Um, and you know that. Um, also, though, you don't have to do that sort of that sales rule of always be closing the ABCs of sales. Always be closing. People don't like that either, right? So you do have to use words, but you don't have to close the deal in the first five seconds of the conversation, you know? Um, I love Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's not formulaic. It's just grace-filled, salt-filled, just wisdom in the way we interact with people who aren't Christians. But here's the thing, like, eventually a conversation is going to happen. And then you have to talk about Jesus, right? One of the things that I think happens is people come to church and like, we've been praying they would come, praying they would come, and then they come and we don't know what to do after that. Now what? Cool, just set up a lunch with them or a coffee with them or something and just say things like this, like, hey, man, you came to church, that's cool. Like, what'd you think? What was that like? Honestly, man, shoot from the hip because, you know, if there's stuff you didn't understand or you might have just some suggestions of things we could do to make it more clear, whatever, man, I want to hear it. I'm your friend. I love you. Glad you were there. They're wanting that to happen. They're expecting that's going to happen. And so often we just assume if they want it, they'll set up a meeting with us at the church office. It's not true. It's on you to do that. It's on me to do that, right? Um, Talk about your own personal need of Jesus. You know, again, Mark 5 Go and tell people your story. We're masters at telling everyone else's stories. Tell the story about how Jesus had mercy on you. What Jesus did in your life and my life, it's personal, but it's not private. There's a big difference. It's just a personal, just intimate way that Jesus meets with us. He knows our past. He knows our shame. He knows the hairs on our head, and yet he loves us just the same. It's beautiful. It's personal, but it's not private. Jesus saving us is not like going to an embarrassing clinic out of town where no one else has to find out about it. It's not private. It's personal. And what story do you tell when it finally comes up? It's not, uh, I grew up in church. That's why I go. I want to get my life together. No, it's I needed pity. I'm going straight to hell because I'm a sinner. Jesus loved me. I don't tell him why he did. He just did. 
And I'm, you know, you know, I still blow it all the time. Man, he loves me. He's so good to me. That's why I'm there. The more people realize you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, the more they are going to open up about their own sin, right? And then finally, tell your, um, tell your personal stories of victory and struggle to those around you in your church and on your team. Tell stories of successes that happen. I've been working with a, a guy for a few years now. He gave his life to Jesus. Man, I was so stoked about that. Another guy left the church, run off on whatever. Man, I'm not stoked about that. Share that struggle. Man, I'm actually scared to talk to my neighbor because he's really involved in this and that. And man, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm supposed to, but I'm freaking out about it. Man, just engage people around you in that. Let them see that you're not a superman. You're not superwoman. Get people, just say, hey, I need some of you guys. Hey, can just some of you guys pray for me? I got this thing. I want, I really, I'm really trusting God for a moment with one of my friends. I'm, I'm freaking out about it, man. I don't know if that, what if they reject me? What if they want to be my friend anymore? That lets people know you're real, right? Cool. So that's that on that. Can, um, you guys got any questions or anything? There's no result after my wonderful episode in Taco Bell <laughs> that I know of. I could have left and the whole place could have got just Shekinah glory, all kinds of... In fact, that's probably what happened. <laughs> Let's go with that. I don't know. I mean, I got to hope that it did something. It did something in me, you know? So, any other questions? Yeah, John. Um, how do you structure your week? You kind of mentioned about places that you go. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So how do I structure my week? Anything that I can do outside of the church office, I will do outside of the church office. Um, and that includes meetings with people who work on staff that aren't like personal or private things. I'm always like, and my, my elders hate it because like if I'm like, hey, let's go to lunch. They know it's like there's only two options or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, those two places again. But those are the two places where I basically know everybody on staff now. And I know most of the people who eat there every lunch now, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not I'm sorry, I know there's a new restaurant in town, but I don't know those people. I know these people, and I'm going to, you know, that's just my thing, you know. So go to lunch by yourself. I'm going there kind of. So I'm always weaving in that sort of rhythm. Um, yeah, I don't have more time than anyone else in the room, you know. I'm just, I'm just going to try to be as intentional with mine as I can, you know. So... Any other questions? Well, you have to get on with the other church leaders following the uh, Facebook part. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably have to cut that bit out of this before we put it online. How do I get on with the other pastors in our town after the baseball thing? Not great. I'm praying that, that thing gets restored, man. I don't. I mean, I don't want that. I want to be. Like, I, I mean, I envy. I was at the thing down in Cornwall yesterday, and there's guys who are like leading. You know. Methodist churches and all the rest coming and hanging out and they're just loving each other. And I was like, man, I want this. But um, we're just, I don't know. We're just, just like a, I don't know. I think we, we just look like a freak show or something, I guess. I don't know. We just, there hasn't really been this warmth. And so, um, yeah, we're praying for that. You guys can pray for us in that. We want to see something of what you guys, I think, are seeing 
people just love each other and they work together. I mean, some of that stuff, we want to see that, you know. Any other questions? Yeah, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, I mean, we're gonna, we'll be together for the weekend, so maybe we can pray and trust God for some wisdom on that. The first thing that comes to mind is it might mean then you need to not create a program, but say like, hey, I'm going to do a deal where I'm going to cook some meat and drink some beers, and each of you kind of invites a couple of your friends, because all those people eat, and probably all those people drink beer, you know? So you create an environment where you, you can bring your fingers together and kind of like to a fist and have a moment where you just might have to create, a, create an environment that brings those together, you know? But um, as the church grows, I mean, you'll find two or three people play football, and you know that stuff will start to, will start to happen. But yeah, man, I, I think that's a real challenge. You know, I think it's something that you know you and some of the guys in this room could just say, hey, just commit to pray for us in this. You know, that God would help us through this. Mike. So how do you move on from relationships to um, having those sort of <coughs> gospel encounters where you're sharing about Christ? So I think think of our our context, we've been about mission, and so guys have been reaching out to friends and big intentions, and they're building their relationships and having them in their homes and doing things together. But like, we're not really having those conversations about Christ. Yeah. So, like, is there any handles that we are? So, yeah. Topics, just go for it. You know, what's, what wisdom? Yeah. I, I mean, I. So, I mean, usually what happens for me is usually the thing comes, it just somehow comes up. Like there's just something they say or something that gives me like a, a gap to, to just go for it, you know? Um, and I am mean, really front-footed about what I do. So that kind of usually sets up the, like, the conversation. That's what, I mean, that's Matt Chandler's favorite, famous line. He's like, you know, he always tells people, hey, you know, I'm a pastor, right? So we want to do that conversation now or we want to do it later or... You know, it's like he's just sort of saying it's, it's coming, you know. Um, I've never done that, but um, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. I think, I think to, like, get into, like, it's like, a, you know, it's like when you're single um, and, you, you know, you hear the, the words you don't want to hear from someone that you hope would make you not single. The, like, I just want to be friends. Like, you're in the friend zone. I think, you, I mean, there is, like, a sense in which you can get into the friend zone where it's like we're not going to ever talk about Jesus now. We're just going to be, you know, going to hang out. So I think you got to watch for that, so... I, I just, usually within the first couple of times, if I really, I mean, if it's a big group setting, it's never going to come up. But if I get one-on-one with somebody, it's probably going to come up in the first time or two we hang out. One-on-one, people are way different than they are in, like, a group, you know? And so um, I always try to get guys one-on-one. Like, hey, let's drive together. Hey, let's go do this together. Like, because I just know, I mean, two minutes in the boat, and this guy's going to start asking questions because there's no one else, you know, around. Um, so I think create one-on-one environments and if it's just not happening, yeah, you do just kind of have to say, Hey man, you know what I do, right? Like I care about you and 
Have you ever thought, I mean, have you ever thought about any of this stuff? Like, have you ever thought about going to church? Did you grow up doing that? You just go for it, you know? Because in the day, I mean, we don't want to just be friends with lost people. We want them to see them come to Jesus. But I think if you get them one-on-one and I think you look for the gap, usually it'll present itself. Yeah. I, Howard. Um, this might be off-beast. Uh, so I hear what you're saying about us leading a mission and, and us being intentional. And I don't want to yeah. play that so that you can take this and say, let's have a discussion. But in terms of like organizing your groups, presumably you have some sort of midweek groups or mm-hmm. groups of meet. What are the guiding principles, organizing the principles that you do? Because obviously the guys here are talking about, should we do it all the same? Should we have diversity? How do we get mission in there? How do we make that the priority? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, as far as like how do we get community groups or small groups on mission? Well, whatever you call them. Yeah, we call them community groups. So how do we get them on mission? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've done a bunch of different stuff. Uh, we do, so we do three 10-week terms for our community groups. Uh, the way our, our area works, it's very seasonal, and so there's a couple times a year where, I mean, we are really asking too much of our leaders because it's like that's when they work, that's when they make their income in those three months to support the rest of the year. Um, and so we just, we found that we were doing more harm than good. We can still create community, but we don't have to do these groups, you know? So in those 10-week terms, however, we're encouraging one of those weeks we, we ask that, that um, four or five groups kind of in a region together um, go and do mission together, right? And you might only get 50 or 60%, you know, turnout, but that's a lot of people if you get four or five groups together, you know, and they go do something together. And so, like I said, we've got, we, we've got a whole list of ideas now that we'll give them out. Here's a whole bunch of things that we've done. This year, um, me and some of the groups, um, we, we got together and we helped a, a house right on the corner from me that was just overgrown. We cut down probably 100 trees, rented a big you know, um, wood chipper, and, and we just, I mean, the, 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 the son, this guy in our, our, in our neighborhood, he fell off his house and died, and the son didn't know Jesus, and I'd gone to school with him, and he, he was there, and he walked over the end of the day, and he just put his arms around me, and he just wept. He's like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why would you guys do this for us? And I was like, man, because, like, you're going through, like, just brokenness, and, man, our heart breaks for you, and we love you, and we only do, we only love you, actually, because we're broken, and Jesus loves us, and she can't help herself, man. We can't watch you go through this and not try to help. And it's just been this, like, he's not come to church yet and done this whole, like, but it, it's like there's this ongoing thing. I was praying for him earlier. There's this ongoing just thing that's happening. And so, anyway, so we're getting groups to, we're getting groups to do that once, officially once a term. So that's three times a year they're doing that. Um, and then we're creating opportunities all the time for them to do that. We've got a bunch of local ministries that we support. We said, look, you can jump into this and help that and whatever. Um, and then, um, um, so what other thing I was going to say? It's just left me. Huh. Okay, that's good. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. You said your, your town's like seasonal. Mm-hmm. We, with our town's very seasonal, so it's always in the summer. Does that affect the way you do mission as a church? Yeah, good question. Like individually as well? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So the question is like in a seasonal touristy town, what do you do in the summer? So, man, we just, we go for broke in the summer. We're trying to get our people really ramped up. Like, we do a little series, like, usually leading up to the summer. We're helping our people see and remember the local mission, right? So they're going, hey, like, I'm going in the summer with, oh, that's the other thing we do. We do, like, block parties. The church will give you a certain amount of money. If you and your community group want to throw a party on your street, we'll help fund it. Um, we'll help rent bounce houses or buy food or whatever. We want to be part of it. You have to plan it. You have to do all the work. We're not doing any of the work. We're not planning it but we'll help pay for it. Um, and so we'll, we'll, like in the summer, 
that stuff will be happening all the time. People are closing off streets and doing block parties and don't even know the church is helping pay for it, you know. Um, so we, we will preach into that leading into the summer so that our people know your, your neighborhood's going to want to hang out. Your neighbors are just looking for an excuse to eat a burger and drink a beer. Take the opportunity. A whole bunch of new people are going to come into our town, and we become like the church that everybody will we'll take advantage of that. And so um, we'll usually do a couple of topical series, which is not, not really our thing, but we'll do a couple of like, you know, objection type series or things like that. And we'll do a big billboard. And we, we basically trying to get everybody who's not, who's visiting in town to come check us out because they're going to hear something on something they really care about. Um, we're, we do like every Sunday night, a bunch of people will go play volleyball down at the beach and they'll just invite everybody. They'll do pickup games. And so we're just, we're just, and we're just going for it. You know, I mean, we've got all these people. We're just going to make the most of it, you know. And we've actually had like, we've had a fair amount of people um, through those things sell their homes and move and join us, which has been like crazy um, to see that happen, you know. And so anyway, that's, that's some of the things we do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of folks now. Now it's at the point where like it's not as easy to move it like that. It feels like it's pretty. Like it's feels like there's just this rhythm. There's so many moving parts. But what we just know is that in the summer, everyone's going to come really early, and they're going to because they want to get it over with and go get on the boat and hang out all day, right? And in the winter, everybody's going to sleep in and they're going to come to church late. You guys probably feel the same thing. So we just, we just take that on the chin. What it does mean is that in, we're thinking, and it's like a dummy, I planned our Sunday night series that I told you about that we tried and didn't work. We planned that during the summer. What in the world was I thinking? Like, I didn't, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be on the boat with my family. But what we're thinking going forward is we may try a third service in the morning but do a really early one Sunday morning because people are motivated, like, if they get to go be on the beach all day with their family, you know, and so... Um, yeah, you kind of think those things through. But if, if, if you had the fluidity to do that, I don't think that would be a bad thing to say to our church, hey, for the summer, we're going to move this. We're going to do this because we want to give it a shot. And that's, that's all you got to do is just tell your church, hey, we're going to try something for three months. See if it works. If it doesn't, cool. We'll try something different next year, you know. Okay, one more. Anybody else? Yeah. 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 So the question is like financially and with family, how do you support a life? This sounds expensive and busy. Um, and I am not naturally wealthy. So, um, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I mean, that you know, the two places that I eat out a lot are like the cheapest two places in town. You know, I mean, it's just like five bucks for a lunch kind of thing. And couple days a week, we can work that in. You know, a couple days a week, I can go spend five or six bucks for lunch, but I get a lot out of that, you know? So I'm not eating, like, lobster, you know, four days a week because I'm trying to reach the people, you know, to sell the lobster, you know? Um, so, and then, like, as far as hobbies go, um, you know, we, um, we, we only use, like, you know, extra income that comes in, like, surprise kind of money, you know, like, birthdays or whatever. We use that kind of money to, like, that's what I use to buy you know, stuff to like hunt with or whatever, um, because it is expensive. And we just, I mean, just over the years, I mean, people die and I get new stuff. And um, <laughs> so like, um, 
I'll borrow things or whatever. I'll just like, you know, like for me, it's, I don't have to have the nice, I just need to get out there and, and be with people, you know. And as far as the time thing goes, um, we've got little kids. And so um, my time is like, you know, it's fluctuated. I don't get to do, so at the beginning I surfed a lot because it was just me and my wife. And um, she was actually working. I was planning the church, you know, and, and so during the day, you know, once I'd prepped the sermon over, I could go surf and it was fine, you know. But like now, I mean, like this last year, I think I surfed maybe four or five times. I mean, the whole year, maybe, um, which is like, I used to surf four or five times a week when we first planted the church, you know. Our rhythm of life has changed and I'll get to duck hunt like two times in a season, whereas everybody else in our church is hunting like every day. I don't get to do it much, but what I'm trying to do is, so that's a, that's a great, you know, point of clarity. I'm not doing this stuff every day, but I'm, 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 I'm really picky about who I do it with. And, and so I'm scheduling that in. Like I'm scheduling those things in. I'm making time for it. And um, I'm, I'm going to really make the most of that, you know. Um, and so, I, I, like I said, I'm busy. I've got two kids. We have a, you know, a larger church. There's a lot of moving parts. But, like, I just can't go, well, see, now I already did that. That's why this church grew. And, and now I'm too busy. And so you guys can all go do that. I still am accountable for this. I still have to do it, you know. I just have to find ways to do it, you know, with the season of life we're in. And so I would just say don't feel like you have to go out to eat all the time or you have to do that. Just, just think of what you can do and do it really intentional, you know, and, hey, I can afford to go out once, you know, every two weeks for a $5 lunch. Great, man. Go to the same fish and chips place every week until those people get saved and then go to another one. I don't know. So I think that's it. Grant, you good? Okay. Thanks, mate. Um, we're going to break now, and dinner is at half past six. So if you've still got to book into your room and all that, please do that. Half past six, we're having dinner. And then at 7.45, we are gathering in here for compulsory fun. <laughs> okay? And uh, say that again. So the dinner is in the Lawns restaurant out that way. Uh, and compulsory fun at 7.45. We'll be in here. Can I just say, can I just say with that, I went to an advanced thing last year uh, for the first time, and, uh, and they, they stood up and they said, uh, the evening we have compulsory fun. And I looked at Matt Hosier, and his face said it all, and I thought the same. And I thought, oh. But I tell you what, it was a blast. It, it, was, it, it was a blast. So... So guys, oh no. so just come, let's, let, you know, we get out of it what we put into it. Let's have some fun together this evening and uh, let's have a good time. So back in here at 7.45. Thank you very much. Great stuff.